Father, the, uh, as you just read, the, um, today we read about the end of the world, um, and next week we're going to read about the end of the world. Um, and the, the reason is the Coptic uh, end of the year is close. It's on September 11th. Uh, how many months are in the Coptic calendar? Do you know? 13. There's 12 that are 30 days, and then a little baby month that's five days. Um, and as we get closer to the end of the Coptic year, we start to think about the end of the world. And the readings of the church start kind of leading us in that direction. Uh, and it's this kind of a special season in the church. Just like Lent is sort of a time for repentance when we think about repentance, these last few weeks are sort of a time to focus on the end. This exercise um, of focusing on Christ's second coming... This exercise on focusing on Christ's second coming uh, can bear us a lot of fruits when we kind of think about the end. When the early Christians felt like the end was imminent, if you remember, the early Christians thought Jesus was coming at any moment. They sold everything they had, they gave away all their possessions, and they were free of the world. And they didn't want any part of the world because Jesus was on his way. And of course, the opposite is true. When we don't feel the end, and we don't think about the end of the world or the end of our life, we do the opposite. We accumulate possessions, and we hoard things, and we think about this world and this life and me and all of the things that make me happy in this effort to gain the world. Um, and so when we th start thinking about the end of the world, of course, it doesn't really matter when the end of the world will actually happen. Right, so sometimes people will get into the job of you know, predicting when the end of days is coming, when is Jesus coming, and the church is always just kind of like, who cares? Right? The real end is when, when we die. That's the end right, for all of us. That's our judgment day. So there's no point in going through all the books of Revelation and trying to find signs and figuring out what's happening out there. And so our life, by any measure, is temporary. Um, and then the church uses the calendar to kind of help remind us of that. So the church has cycles inside, the, inside our calendar, right? So one of our cycles is an annual cycle, right? We celebrate Christmas once a year. We celebrate Easter once a year. And then we also have these monthly cycles where we'll celebrate the Theotokos and Archangel Michael once a month as well. We have weekly cycles with the Vespers and the liturgy. And then we even have a daily cycle. And... In the Egbeya, we go through this daily cycle. So at the, the 12th hour of every hour of the Egbeya, the church reminds us that we're going to die. Uh, and we talk about falling asleep, and we talk about, you know, in the litanies, laying down, and this, the day is over, and we just kind of think about us going to, to sleep. And the question is, is this morbid? Why would the church do such a thing? Remind us every night that the end is close. And maybe it's, it's very important to do so. Um, and it's a lot of work to do that. I mean, how many of us, you know, will pray the Egbeya every single night um, and have that reminder in the 12th hour that we're going to, to pass at some point? And the question is, it'd be nice if there was an app for that, right? Something that could remind us. It turns out there is. It's called We Croak. And one of the youth sent this to me. It's pretty funny. It's an app that reminds you five times a day that you're going to die. <laughs> and it gives you these nice little quotes about death. Very inspiring quotes. 
But it reminds you just every once in a while, it flashes up, says, by the way, you're going to die. Take it easy. Relax. And the app is pretty funny, of course, right? But it's no different than what St. Irenaeus said, right? What St. Irenaeus says, the business of the Christian is nothing else but to be ever preparing for death. And that's just what we do. That's what we do. We prepare for death. In fact, one of the reasons we have funerals in the church is we place the body in front of everybody, uh, right up here in the front, and it's one of the reminders that, you know, you're going to be laying here someday, you know, along with this, this person. And it reminds us that this is how we all go out. This is how it all ends. And it gives us perspective. You know, when you're, when you're on your deathbed, you get perspective, and you start thinking about what really matters, what's important. Should I have made more money? Should I have bought another rental property? I wonder if I could have, you know, made a little bit more on the stock market. That's not what you think on your deathbed, right? You think, gosh, I wish I'd loved people more. I wish I'd served more. I wish I'd spent more time with my family. That's what we think, right? And so at a moment, everything in the world becomes worthless, right? On that, that last moment, you know, um, I, 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 I was in Australia a few years back, and the Australian dollar is worth something, you know. And I, I landed, you know, at LAX, and I look in my pocket, and I have a $100 Australian bill in my pocket. And I kind of chuckled to myself, right, because, you know, a few hours ago, this was worth a lot of money. This was actually something I could buy stuff with. And now I've landed in LAX, and it's kind of worthless, right? I'm just going to put it somewhere, and then I'm going to get rid of it, and eventually I'm going to throw it away because I'm not going to spend $100. Australian any time soon. And so it's kind of like that, right? This currency just a few hours ago was worth so much, and now it's just worthless, right? And that's sort of the currency of the world. While we're here, it's just worth so much, and we think it's worth so much. And just in a moment, you're like, gosh, none of this actually mattered. None of it did. It's all worthless, right? And so a lot of people are afraid of dying for this reason. They're not really afraid of dying. They're afraid of what comes next after death. And of course, Satan will take advantage of this instinct, right? The fear of death. It's a natural instinct, but Satan can turn it into something ugly, as he often does. Satan will confuse people and tell us, you know, you're going to die. You might as well live it up, right? The young people always use the word YOLO, right? You only live once. And so the, the effect of this is what Satan does is he tells us, you know, go out and experience everything life has to experience. Go out and do it all. You know, break all the rules. Do all the things. Try, it, ev try everything that's out there. Visit everything. Try every drug. Try every alcohol. Try every, everything. Right? And he's manipulating the fact that death is coming. And instead of thinking about that, he distracts us with everything but that. And so what we do is we live a life distracted, right? There are people I know who won't go to a funeral, who won't even think about it. In fact, if you mention death, they'll be like, no, 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 I, I, I can't, I don't, I don't want it, I can't. And they're, they're, they're scared of it. They can't even think about it. They can't even process it, right? They've put it out of their heads. And we can do that one way or another, right? We can just distract ourselves all through life with everything that life has to offer us. Right? And this is the deception that Satan feeds us. 
And unfortunately, that many of us accept hook, line, and sinker. So we're about to start the year 1740 in the Coptic calendar. And why is it the year 1740 in the Coptic calendar? Because we start our calendar in the year 283 AD. And it's, uh, it's beginning the, the reign of a guy named Diocletian. Does anyone know who Diocletian is? He's an emperor. He was a really horrible person, right? So basically, Nero started persecuting Christians in 64 AD, right? He burned down Rome, blamed it on the Christians, and started killing Christians. And then there was 10 consecutive emperors who persecuted Christians in the first few centuries. Diocletian was the 10th and arguably the worst, right? He killed so many people, and he was brutal and horrible, right? I mean, forget, you know, nerve gas and, and, and chemical weapons. This guy would kill, you know, 30,000 people in Alexandria in a day, and there aren't that many people in Alexandria, right? So he was just brutal and ruthless. But the cops decided something very weird. They said, you know what, this guy was so horrible that we want to start our calendar when he started his reign. Really, the emperor, the really bad guy, the guy that killed all the Christians, yeah, that's the one. That's where we want to start our calendar. That's our beginning, if you will. So it's an interesting thought that death is the beginning, right? That that's how we start our Christianity, our calendar, our history as a church started when this guy started persecuting us. And so death to the world is the beginning of Christianity. Death to the world is the beginning of Christianity. It's understanding what's happening. Dana Prime has this beautiful quote. He says, if you give all, the, all your life to the earth, the earth will give you a tomb. But if you give your life to heaven, heaven will give you a throne. I especially like that first part. If you give all your life to the earth, the earth will give you a tomb. That's what we get in return for all the hard work and all the energy and everything we expend trying to do all the things. This is the outcome. And so St. Paul says this best. He says, if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And that ultimately has to just to be our motto in life. So sacrifice becomes the beginning of life. Death becomes the beginning of life. And history tells us that when the highest ranks of officers, you know, St. Nina and St. George and all of these martyrs, when they would stand before these emperors and they would declare their Christianity, they would take these, you know, badges and these medals that they had on their chests and on their shoulders. And these were very hard to get. This was Roman Empire kind of stuff, right? I mean, you worked really hard to become an officer in the Roman army. They would take one of these things that would just, you know, was, was the ultimate form of honor in the world, and they would take them and just throw them on the ground, right? I mean, these things, when you put them on and you walked in the streets, everyone would bow before you when you're a Roman officer, and they would just take them and throw them on the ground. And it's an amazing thought that I'll take my degrees and my money and whatever prestige I have, and I would just throw it on the ground. It's worthless. What do you throw on the ground? garbage right you don't throw anything on the ground and they would throw these very precious things why would they do that well because they found something better they found something more valuable something more important and that transition that's christianity right it's when i realize that all of this is to be thrown on the ground because i found something better 
And so we get so anxious about the world, we get so anxious about our children, so anxious about our jobs, so anxious about our retirement, so anxious about our health, and in the end it's all dust, right? We just read in the Catholic epistle, the world shall pass away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God remain forever, amen. The world shall pass away, and it's such a powerful little statement. The world shall pass away. In the end, none of it's worth getting all wound up about. It all goes. And we realize this when our eyes get opened. That's why in, in iconography, we see the martyrs when they're being martyred. They aren't like, you know, cowering and scared and, ah, and doing all these things, right? They're very peaceful and their eyes are really big, right? Because they see something we don't see, right? They see more than just some guy with a sword coming at them. They see the kingdom. And when you realize that really, truly, our inheritance isn't here, it doesn't come from our parents or from our retirement fund or from whatever, but our inheritance really is in heaven and nothing here matters. And it's so easy to discount everything that's on earth. And it changes our outlook here on earth. It's like you live above the world. You live not caring about it, not being affected by it. You know, there's people that watch politics, they watch TV, they watch the news, and they get so upset. I can't believe the world is going downhill. What are we going to do to save America? We have to stop the Republicans. We have to stop the Democrats. We have to stop the independents. And they're so concerned about the dust. And here's the test. The more afraid you are, the more the world has encroached on your heart. Just a general rule of thumb. Fear comes from the devil. And so the more afraid I am, the more the world has a, has a hold on me. And we see this again in the life of the martyrs. The martyrs absolutely fearless. I mean, some of the stuff they would say was ridiculous. Standing up to people that had the power to kill them with a flick of their hand, saying just amazing things to them. Completely, completely fearless. How do you get that? Because you realize everything on earth is dust. None of it matters. And at all, the world shall pass away. And so when they were being martyred, they weren't afraid of the moment. They were looking forward to it. They were looking forward to ending the futility, the running around, the stress, the anxiety, all the things that the world brings to us. They weren't worried about being judged in heaven. God was their friend. God loves them. And so they were excited to join him. They weren't afraid. And then we even say this in the creed every single day. We say we look for the resurrection of the dead, right? This is an exciting time for us. And so these moments, they're just moments. And they can happen to anyone at any time. How many very seemingly healthy people just drop or get cancer or get sick in some horrible way, get into car accidents? All of us. Life is very futile, it's very fleeting. And anytime you think you have control, that's just a figment of your imagination. There is no control. We have no control on this earth. Right? Sorry, sounds so depressing. And so this usually hits us on our deathbeds. This usually hits us as we're going out, like, wow, what did I spend my life doing? What could I have done differently? 
and the, word of Christ, the words of Christ ring true. He says, what profit is it to, gain, to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? All right, so this leads to my final point, the love of money and greed. Elder Paisus has this great saying. He says, have you ever seen a shroud with pockets? A shroud is what we wrap dead people in. Have you ever seen a shroud with pockets? So be warned that the love of money is the root of all evil. You can have as much money as you want, but don't love it. Don't let it control you. Don't let it consume you. I want to read to you a sermon, and I'll end with this. A sermon that St. John Chrysostom gave about Lazarus and the rich man. You guys know the story of Lazarus and the rich man. There was a beggar outside of um, uh, uh, this rich man's door named Lazarus, and he would constantly ask for stuff, and then finally, you know, they died, and then he gives this image of what happened in heaven. And so St. John Chrysostom says, finally the rich man became a beggar to the poor man and begged from the table of this man who earlier had gone hungry and exposed and been exposed to the mouths of dogs. The situation was reversed and everyone learned who is really the rich man and who is really the poor man and that Lazarus was, mo was the most affluent of all but the other was the poorest of all. So he basically said that even though this man lived rich his whole life and Lazarus lived poor his whole life, after they died, the roles reversed. And we figured out who was actually rich and who was actually poor. Okay, I'll read you the sermon. <coughs> For just as the stage actors enter with the masks of kings, generals, doctors, teachers, professors, and soldiers, without themselves being anything of the sort, so in the present life, Poverty and wealth are only masks. You see what he's doing? He's saying, imagine you go to a play and people in the play are wearing masks and they're pretending to be kings and professors and whatever. He says, in the present life, poverty and wealth are also just masks. If you are sitting in the theater and see one of the actors wearing the ma mask of a king, you do not call him fortunate or think that he's actually a king, nor would you wish to become what he is. But since you know that he's actually some tradesman, perhaps a rope maker or a coppersmith or something of the sort, you do not call him fortunate because of his mask and his costume, nor do you judge his social class by them, but reject this evidence because of the cheapness of his other garb. So he's basically saying if you go in and you see someone dressed up as a king, you don't say, wow, you're lucky you're a king because you know he's not really a king, right? He's some craftsman or worker or whatever. In the same way, even here, sitting in this world, as if in a theater and looking at the players on stage, when you see many rich people on earth, do not think that they are truly rich, but that they are wearing the masks of rich people. Just as the man who acts the part of a king on the stage often turns out to be the poorest of all. If you take off his mask, open up his conscience and enter into his mind, you will often find there a great poverty of virtue you will find that he belongs to the lowest class of all, just as in the theater, when evening falls and the audience departs and the kings go outside to remove their costumes of their roles, they are revealed to everyone thereafter, appearing to be exactly what they are. So also now, when death arrives and the theater is dissolved, everyone puts off the masks of wealth or poverty and departs to this other world, when all are judged by their deeds alone, 
Some are revealed to be truly wealthy, others poor, some of high class, other of no account. Often indeed, one of those who are rich in this life turns out to be the poorest of all in the other life, even like this rich man. For when the evening took him, that is to say death, and he departed from the theater of this present life and put aside his mask, he was revealed as the poorest of all in that other world. So poor indeed that he was not master even of a drop of water, but had to beg for this and did not even obtain it by begging. How could be, who could be any poorer than this poverty? So we'll end with that thought. As we come near the end of our lives in the, in the church, in the end of the year, and we think about the end of the world, and next week as well, as well we're going to read about the second coming and, and, and the judgment day and all these things. It's a nice season. It's just a couple of weeks. And I would really recommend you take the couple of weeks and just get into that, into that season, into that thinking about the end, what it looks like, what really matters. Fast forward to your deathbed and then just roll it backwards and say, what's gonna matter then? What am I gonna care about then? And how's that different from what I'm caring about now? I love this picture, it's a statue. It's a beggar sitting outside a church and he's got a hole in his hand. That's Christ. St. Basil says, if we all took only what was necessary to satisfy our own needs, giving the rest to those who lack, no one would be rich and no one would be poor. It's beautiful. And this, this isn't just about giving to the poor. This is about a mindset of asceticism in our lives, only having what you need. St. Basil also says, if you have two coats, you have one too many. Give the other coat to someone else who needs it. It's that kind of thinking, that kind of asceticism, that kind of, you know, in today's vernacular, we say, you know, my carbon footprint, I want to have a, a small footprint, right? I don't want to have a big house and a lot of stuff and a lot of clothes. I want to be smaller. And that's kind of the beauty of this season. May God call us all to think about um, our own lives, our own purposes, our own meanings, our all calls, all of our calls in him uh, during this last season. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Blessed are